Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Okay, if you guys could grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, the uh, ushers will pass one out. So I want to make sure you guys know um, that next week and the week after, we're not here. We're at the Regency Theater, um, just like Caden was telling you. So this car, you don't need the ticket to get in. It's just really cool to have a ticket. But um, that's what that's for. Also, if you could, I guess this is card handing out time. We don't usually do this, but grab this card. It's orange, and it's on your seat right now. And it has 1 Corinthians 6.19 on the back. Um, so every week... Um, for Lent, we'll have one of these cards, and we want you to take it, we want you to take notes. Um, what we're doing is we're going through the series on renovation, and for Lent, usually you give up something, you add something. We're calling everyone to do nothing but listen. Uh, the analogy we're using is, is if you were renovating your home, or uh, adding on, or maybe subtracting, but you don't start the work until you come up with a plan. And so what we're doing is if this is true, what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So if we, our whole body, not just your physical body, but your whole body, if we belong to God, then he's kind of the owner of the house, right? And if he's the owner of the house and there's work to be done, we shouldn't start anything until we let him do the talking. And if he's going to do the talking, then somebody has to listen. So we're kind of like the contractor. We're responsible for taking care of it, but we need to listen. So last week, um, the question, if you open to this side, on the bottom, on the bottom left of this one, it says, is your blank holy? And for last week, the answer to that was, is your body holy? And this week, we're going to look at something different. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but we're going to look at different elements. Next week is money. Is your... Oh, see, I just gave you the, the head, heads up. Didn't you? So you can just write it in ahead of time. The reason we do it blank is so it will stick in your head. Uh, one of them is, is your house holy? Is your family holy? And holy means that it was touched by God. So if something is holy, like when, when uh, God spoke to Moses, he said, the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Now, that land had been there forever. So what made it holy? God's presence. So what makes something holy is God's presence makes it holy. And so when we ask, is your body holy, I mean, is God in charge of it? Has this been handed over to him? Does it belong to him? And if it belongs to him, it'll smell like him. You know what I mean? Like I walked up here and Tyler was about to lead the music. And I walked up and stood behind him and he's like, you don't smell like Kirsten. Like we have our own smell, right? Well, God has a smell. Not an olfactory smell, but a smell, right? So is your body holy? Does it smell of God's presence? And so last week we talked about stress and diet and sleep, um, all the elements of us taking care of this body which does not belong to us. But today we're going to talk about something different. Um, and I want to talk about a, a holy moment that I had where I knew that God was present there for me to hear. So I was working with a, um, I coach different sports and I was working with one particular kid and we were going through uh, some exercises and drills and, and the kid was just falling apart, like falling apart meaning like starting to cry. Because the kid was not doing well. And I was like, what is going on here? And so 
uh, we just stopped and we just sat down together. And I said, you just got to cry, man. Whatever, just cry. And so this, this boy uh, just started sobbing. And not like five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, like an older boy. Just bawling. And I'm like, okay, what, what's, after, they were, after this person was done crying, after the guy was done crying, I said, so what's going on? And he went to explain to me in the most profound words. He said, I don't want to fail. I said, but you're really good. <laughs> why, are you, why are you always so worried about failing? He goes, well, because I notice that when I do well, everybody wants to hang out with me and talk to me. But when people fail, then nobody's around them. And here's what he said. I don't want to be alone. Is that a holy moment or what? Is that from the mouth of a child comes this raw honesty. And professional athletes are the same way. Like the top of the top athletes, if you ever ask the top athletes, and they do this all the time, what drives you? The most honest ones will say this. I am absolutely petrified. I have this overwhelming fear of letting my teammates down. That's what drives them. And that's not just in athletics, and it's not just for youth. It's for us as human beings. It's like this, this drive outside of us. Like we need to perform. I need to do this. Because if I do this, then people will be near me. But if not, I'll be rejected. And I'll be alone. And there's something deep inside of us that we just know that's just not right. We all know when it happens, it's just like, it's not good. And God himself recognizes that and tells us. That we were not meant to be alone. He says it right in the beginning. Here in Genesis chapter 2, he says, It is not good that man should be alone. Because when man was created, Genesis teaches us that man was just man. Not man and woman, but just man. Like, just person. I don't know what that looked like. Kind of a little freaky to me to imagine. Just one human being, but not differentiated into male and female. But in the word of God, I think it's trying to get even deeper than that and just say, look, we were meant to be together. We were meant to interact. Not just marriage. We're not just talking about male-female marriage. We're just talking about being with other people. And this boy realized, like, I don't want that. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. I'm petrified of that feeling of being alone. And I think that if I do well in this particular activity, then I won't be alone. We all know what it's like to be rejected. We all know what it is to be left alone or not invited or feel left out, whatever that means. We also know what it is to be on the inside, to be welcomed in, to be pulled in. We know the difference between the two. So when God says it's not good that man should be alone, it's very easy for us to go, yeah, I agree with you 100%. So what we're looking at this morning is your relationship holy? So just fill in that blank. Is your relationship holy? However, I'm going to tweak that later. But for now, is your relationship holy? We're not talking about your relationship with God. Your relationship with other people. All your relationships. Are they holy? Or are you like this boy, petrified of being alone? And so you act in a different way because you're so worried about that. We all know what it is to be rejected. But we're not going to talk about going back. And dealing with your rejection. Um, and what I mean by rejection, and I love the way Dallas Willard broke it down. He's a, a theologian that passed away the past few years, an amazing man. And um, he wrote 
that there are two grand sins that we do to each other. One is that we assault someone. And the other one is, is that we withdraw from others. And so in relationships, the idea of being alone, we, can, we do one of two things to each other. We assault them or we withdraw. So an assault doesn't mean that you punch them. That, that could be it. If you look in Exodus chapter 20 with the, the Ten Commandments, the second half of those are all pretty much examples of assault. Um, do not murder. Uh, do not have adultery. Do not steal. I mean, those are all examples of assaulting. And what it means is, is to do something to another person that is not for their good. Now, it doesn't mean that you do it against their will. They may even agree to it, but it's not good for them. And so in that, you're assaulting them. For example, in adultery. It's not rape, it's adultery. But it's not good for the other person. You're jumping into their marriage. You're entering into that. Or you're allowing someone else to enter into yours. So it may be willingly conceded to, but it's still not for their best interest. It's going to tear things apart. And so that's what assault is. And we know what it is to be assaulted, right? You know it could be words. We've talked about that before with words. We've all, we have words and statements that people have said to us in our past that still stick with us today. And it rings there because it just, it's caused that damage. The other one is to withdraw. Um, and withdraw most often comes out of fear. You're interacting with someone and just your interactions with them cause this fear or whatever it is. And so you want to withdraw from them. Or sometimes just straight up, you don't care about them. They're just not that important. One of the biggest things that happens in our interactions with people is they become obstacles. We joke about it all the time because it's the most prominent one because we all, we're Americans, so we all have cars. You might even have more than one car. And, of course, someone is going to cut you off or do whatever. They're not a person. They're just an obstacle. And at that point, you assault them. They don't know it because it doesn't actually affect them unless you pull up next to them and do something else and get in one of those situations. But it's someone that gets into your way. So sometimes withdraw, maybe you don't assault them, but you just someone just does something like, look, this person's just in the way. They're not doing anything for me. So you just kind of withdraw from them. Much like what that kid felt. And so I want us to think about the assault and withdrawal, but not what's been done to us. So when we talk about, um, is your relationship holy? What we're talking about is not what's been done to us, but instead, what about us? Because we've all assaulted, and we've all withdrawn. And what that does to a person is that rejects them. And all of us know what that feels like, and we all know it's not right, and yet... That is part of how we've learned to interact with each other. Um, when we were, were born, we were in the womb, and then we come out, and then we're in those interactions, and, and our lifeline is from our parents. And so that's where it's the most important from. And for many of us, actually pretty much all of you, like I know this as a parent, my kids, I'm going to have to say sorry to them. I've already started. And I just, I just know it's coming because there's no parent that's going to be in a situation where their kids aren't going to say, you know what, you did this, and you did that, and you did this. And when my kids say that, and I hope they will so that we can move through it, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm very sorry. I did the best I could. But when they come out, they, they've got to deal with that. They've got to deal with our imperfections as human beings. And so within that, then we move to other relationships, and then our siblings, and then the rest of our family, and our friends, and our coworkers. And then that assault and withdrawal goes, um, goes over and over and over again. But we don't need to do that way. 
That's not the way God intended. And in a perfect world, that's never going to happen again, but it will happen again. But what I want us to do is start to shift and look at God's word and say, okay, then how do we make our relationships holy? And more importantly, our relations. Because we cannot control relationships. Does that make sense? So it says, is your relationship holy? You might want to change it to, is your relation holy? Because all you can control is how you interact. You can't control them loving back. You cannot control. We've talked a lot about that a lot. And God's made that clear. It's this, it's this idea of letting go. Much like when you're born and you come out of that womb, you're entering into another womb. You're entering into the womb of your family. And then you're entering into the womb of, and you're like, wow, this is not quite as warm and as safe and as inviting as it was in there. And when you hear Jesus say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's another womb that you go to. There's another place that you go to to know what it is to be fully loved with no assault and no withdrawal. And then you are set free to have holy relations with other people. Not trying to control how they love you back, but instead making a commitment to love them. To to make that a relation that is holy, that has the presence of God, that smells of God. So um, I want us to show, this isn't a scripture, but it's been around for centuries. And it was in the Jewish um, writings, but even predating the Jewish writings, it's called the Silver Rule. Uh, In China, Syria, all over the world, they had some version of this. That's why they call it the Silver Rule. So in different countries, they'll say it different ways. Confucius had one way of saying it. Um, Other people had different ways of saying it. One should not treat others in ways that one would not like to be treated. So that's been around forever. It's not like, it's not particular to one faith or one culture, and it fits perfectly with assault and withdrawal, right? Like, do not assault someone because you don't want to be assaulted. Don't withdraw from someone, and we're talking about the people that you're close with, because you don't want to be withdrawn from. But that's the silver rule. Jesus came along and did something that no one had done prior to that. No one in the history of man, basically to go on the offensive in love. So what are we supposed to do with all this? Okay, so I'm not supposed to assault or withdraw, so what am I supposed to do then? Because I find myself doing that over and over again. And I say what Christ says, don't worry about the assault and withdrawal. Put all your energy into loving. What does that look like? And this is the golden rule. Jesus never calls it the golden rule, but we do. And so this is, um, it's in two different places. One in Matthew, one in Luke, but we're going to look in Matthew. So if you could put that up, John. Um, So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Or another way to say that is, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. It takes care of everything. That's what love is. And Jesus is very clear with that. He's not, love is something, like we throw love around, it's just like this vague word that floats around. But Jesus never intended his command to be vague. He's very particular. He's very specific with it. Um, I want you to go to another part of your Bible. Um, If you could, go to John 13, 34. And if there's one scripture that you pull out of this for the entire time, write it down in your notes, John 13, 34. In fact, I would even write it out because it's going to be that important for us. We talked about not controlling these relationships. Matthew 7, 12, so in everything, do. There's an activity to it. There's a, 
there's an action, there's a momentum that moves forward. We talked about not assaulting. Well, what's the opposite of assaulting? To heal, right? To bring encouragement, to bring support. Um, what's the opposite of withdrawing? To invite, to, to pull in. I think the most perfect way to describe it is uh, the common prayer um, wording of a marriage. So when you go to a marriage day, you'll hear often, do you take her to be your wife, to have and to hold from this day forward? And then it gives you these directions. To, to have, to hold. I mean, that, that's, that's not rejection. That's not withdrawal. That's pulling in, right? To hold. But when? In good times and in bad. When it's bad, you don't want to hold, right? That's when you want to withdraw. That's when, oh, this is too difficult. You want to pull away. In sickness and in health. In health, it's a lot easier. In sickness, it's more difficult. For richer or for poorer. Let's be honest. A lot of times, it's a lot easier when there's money. It's a lot more difficult when you're poor. And a lot of times, it's a lot more difficult when you're rich than it is when you're poor. When you're poor, all you have is each other. But it's this idea that in the midst of that, what are you going to say? And then you go through that. In fact, we do weddings all the time. Do you, for richer, for poorer, in good times and bad, in sickness and in health? If so... Say, I do. That's a verb. There's an action to it. And it goes here with John 13, 34. This is the action. It's not just for marriage. It's for friendship. One of my best friends is here today. And in that relationship, like, there's a commitment. We've never gotten married. We don't do that kind of stuff. I got a wife. I'm good. But I am committed in that relationship, in that relation to make it holy. That's on me. That's a commitment I made in following Christ. And in that, not only because I'm following Christ, but that's because that's how it was meant to be. And in that, what does that look like? A new command I give you. This is Jesus speaking. Love one another. Okay, I get it. Love one another. But how? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So in these relations, how do we make them holy? What does that actually look like? It's one thing to talk about it, but what does it look like to make these relations holy? We can make it very simple sometimes. I mean, going down to bare bones, simple, comedic examples. Um, John Norton, who speaks here a lot, he was, uh, he was in his junior high class. He, he taught junior high at one time. And he was teaching at St. Margaret's, and he's up in the front, and he's talking, and this one kid goes, um, Mr. Norton, he wasn't a doctor at this point, Mr. Norton, Mr. Norton, um, you, you have a booger hanging out of your nose. And the whole class is like, <gasps> they all saw it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm always petrified that I'm up here with my zipper down. And I'm like, they're looking, but nobody's going to say anything, because nobody wants to be that person, right? Why? Now, <laughs> Heather, you do it. I appreciate that. All you have to do is just stand up and go, that'll let me know. And if I don't pay attention, just yell it. Um, but that kid yelled that. And, and John looked at him and went, extra credit, 100 points. And the rest of the kids like, what? You give him extra credit? Because they didn't want to say it because they were petrified that they were going to hurt his feelings. Even though it was what was best for him, they were worried about what was going to come back to them. What was in his best interest? Get the booger out of your nose. 
Isn't that the worst when you go through it the whole time and someone's like, hey, did you know that was happening? You're like, why didn't anybody ever tell me that? Why didn't anyone ever bring that to my attention? If the relation is holy, you are going to be committed to what is in their best interest. You are going to have constant sacrificial commitment to give your life away for them. Jesus said that. He said, there is no greater love than to give your life away for another person. That boy in the front went for it. Now, I don't know if it was this altruistic. I really care for Mr. Norman. I feel bad for him. Dude had a booger hanging out of his nose. And that, that picture right there, I want to take that into our relationship. How many of you have good friends, but you're like, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything about how he is interacting in his marriage. I don't want to say anything about their finances. I don't want to, but you just know, I, I love them. I, I want to share something, but I don't know how they're going to react. I get that. But are you worried about the reaction and how it's going to affect you, or are you worried about their best interest? And that doesn't even mean you're right. Does that make sense? But you love them enough that you're going to step into it and say something. Like, hey, you got to help me to understand. I want what's best for you, and I'm just worried about this. And yeah, they're probably going to get defensive because they've grown up being assaulted and they've grown up being withdrawn from and they're worried about performance. And we have these relationships, we're so worried that we're messing up that when someone brings that up, we're like ready to go. What? Don't, don't you even. But someone that truly loves steps in anyway and says, just give me the punch because I care more about you than what comes back at me. For as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The Bible says this, but at the same time, we don't even need to say it. We can see it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were fallen, God loved us. There is no way to live this way. There is no, this, like what we are talking about this morning is impossible. As Romans says, it's impossible outside of Christ's love. And so for us to be able to do this, we need to know that God has not, and will not ever or assault us or withdraw from us. If you hear voices or you have that sense like, God's going to be angry with me, he's going to strike me down, or I have this sickness because of God, or this happened because God's angry with me. God doesn't work that way. That's how we work. That is not in his nature. That is not part of the nature of God. And we were created his image, so when things are right, we know it. And when things are wrong, we know it. When we're rejected, we know. When we make that mistake of rejecting someone, we know that it's wrong. But yet, we haven't seen how to figure that out with God. To know that God loved us so much that he gave his only son to die for us. Why? So that we could have life. Not just life here, but eternal life. But most often, we think of just the eternal life. We don't think about the life here. He came to set us free. That's how much Christ loves us, that, that kind of reckless, offensive love. And when I mean offensive, I mean into your face, like coming at you rather than coming back, going, hey, I hope it works out for you. But God come in and going, I'm going to make this as obvious and as apparent to you as possible. You matter. And there is nothing you can ever do. There is nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God. To live this way and have these relationships holy can only be done if we know God's love for us. And when we know that, we are then set free. We talk about this all the time in, in, in marriages. You know, the most intimate human relationship you can have. Uh, in that relationship, 
you can't get the other person to love you. And you can't get your validation from them. Who you are comes from only Christ. And I've shared this so many times, I know it's annoying you, but it's, it's a critical moment for me, a holy moment when I know I was standing on holy ground. When I was in that time of solitude up in the mountains, and I, although I was in solitude, it was not silent. It was loud. There were all these voices inside me, usually just reverberations of rejection, of assault or withdrawal, wondering if I was good enough or this or that. And then I just heard the, I heard the voice of God as deep as it could go in my life say, but you belong to me. Is that enough? And it wasn't a sarcastic statement. It was just, is that enough? And it was. It is. And in that, I've got to be reminded of that, not try to get my validation from others, not try to get others to not assault me or withdraw from me, and not try to get people to come near me or to encourage me, but instead say, you know what, I'm already provided, protected, and cared for. I'm already supported and encouraged by the love of Christ. And that is empowering me now to be set free and have holy relationships. I can't control how other people love me back. I can't get my parents to do certain things. I can't get my friends to do certain things. I, and you know what? That's not, in my, that's not even on my job description. That's not part of our, that's not, that's not your job. You are now set free because of the love that Christ has for you to love others. As uh, Romans says, Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because all, it can, all you can do is your side. All you can do is what's on your end. And yet, we're petrified of doing that. Like, well, something's wrong, and the relationship's not working. Hey, sometimes that's just the way it is. You can't control it. But you can control your love towards them, your unconditional love, with no assault and no withdrawal. And trust me, I know how difficult this is. As I'm talking about this, I'm like, Lord, why are you even allowing me to talk about this this week? And there was one particular person that I have a very difficult time with. You're not here, by the way. You know how we always do that? Wait, is it me? Is it me? I don't even know him. I've never met him, but maybe it's me. We always have that, right? Somebody calls you up. Hey, we need to talk. Oh, what did I do? Why? Because we're so trained. Like, oh, I did something. I'm either going to get assaulted or withdrawn from right now. What's going on? And I, this person popped in my mind. The person that I assault or withdraw from. I do a little bit of both. And this person actually entered into my life this week. This is the longest conversation I've had with this person in probably seven years. And as I'm sitting here, I literally, my Bible was open. I was looking at it, and the person's right there. I'm like, hey. And I was going, okay, it's my role. I need, this, needs to be, this needs to have God's presence here. God, you've got you've to provide me with this, and I need to love this person. But I'm so worried about what comes back. I was set free. It was the most amazing thing. This can be done. I know we're going to get in those moments where like, oh, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I do. I get that. And yet, the more that we rest into Christ, the more we pull into his love for us, we're set free to love those that don't love us back. In fact, in Luke, when Jesus says the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, in that, he goes right after that and says, your enemies, do good to your enemies. Well, who's your enemy? The person that's punishing you. Do good to them. Not just, oh, think nice thoughts or don't, don't do something bad to them. Do positive, big capital D, 
big capital O, do something to them that is good. And when this person came up in front of me, that's what I was thinking about. And I was like, okay, this is really tough because I just really want to punish them for all the stuff they did and they keep doing all the time. And yet I was like, well, does it really matter? And you'll be amazed at being set free. And I want to close with this because this is a scripture that stuck with me since right out of college. Um, And it's from Luke, Luke chapter 7. And in Luke, um, a Pharisee uh, asked Jesus to come over and eat. So it's in a town, and Pharisees, the religious leader, and he asked Jesus to come over. And when Jesus comes in, this woman who's a prostitute, who's in the community, uh, and when we think of that, we think of a huge city, right? Like, oh, some lady, she must have been dressed all in lingerie or something. No, she came in dressed normal, and they all knew her. She was part of the community, but the Pharisees looked at her, and they categorized her. They assaulted her with a title. And they probably assaulted her without even using their words, just with their face. We all know the face, right? And then they communicate to Jesus, but they don't say it out loud. But they can't figure out why Jesus would even associate with this person. Why isn't he withdrawing? He knows to leave this woman alone. Do you know what she's done? And Jesus looks at them. And he's trying to explain to them the love that God has for us and what it is to be forgiven. And who loves more? Because what she was doing was washing his feet. She was taking this very expensive perfume and she was using his hair and washing his feet. And they looked at her and they're like, why is Jesus letting her do this? He should be withdrawing from her right now. We've already rejected her. We've assaulted her and withdrawn from her. Why is he doing this? We know this is the way we're supposed to do things. And Jesus looks at them and he has one question for them. So beautiful. Do you see this woman? Now think about that. Do you see this woman? That enemy of mine that came up to me, did I really see this person? Do I know the battles that this person is fighting? Do I see them? Or do I see them as an obstacle? For us to have holy relations, sometime in our marriages, we, they're, just, they're just not doing what we want them to do, but we don't see them. Sometimes our children that don't do what we want them to do, we don't see them. Our parents, well, my parents did this and they've done this. We don't see them. Friends, those that hover around, we don't see them. Why? They may do the most ridiculous behaviors, but we still don't see them. Those behaviors come from somewhere. And when you truly see another person, you're seeing a human being. You're seeing a child of God. And there is nothing that will separate them from the love of God. And as followers of Christ, and especially as the community of faith, there is no place for us not to have holy relations. Well, that doesn't mean we're not going to annoy the heck out of each other. Let's be straight out honest. Some of you are sitting next to people that really annoy you. Or some of you purposely sat on this side because the person that annoys you is over there. Or you're like, oh, you're at the first service? Oh, it's great service. I'm going to the second. Whatever it is, because we're like, I'm just, and we withdraw. But that does not happen in the community of faith. We are the light to the world. And so those names that are popping up, maybe you're going to write their names down. Maybe you have to grab that card and you have to write it in code. Because you're nervous that someone next to you might recognize that name. So you might have to call them, you know, that guy. But you know what it is, but nobody else knows. Or some shoestring. 
I don't know, maybe it was the shoestrings they stole from you when you were a kid and you never forgiven them for it. They're just shoestrings. I don't know what you want to write. Are you just going to write their name? First name, middle name, last name. You're just that bold about it. But you know that's the person that you need to work on having a relationship that is holy with. Where you, as much as it depends on you, you live at peace because you're going to do good to them. You're going to do to them that you, what you would want done unto you, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, regardless of the pain they've caused you or someone else you love. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. And it's not, oh, well, because God did it for me, I better do it. No, it's when you fully rest into God's love for you, you're set free to do this, and you want to. You don't have the burden of what's holding you back. And so as you're looking at these people, I would encourage you to say, do you see this person? That person, that their name popped up, do you see them? So um, I'm going to invite the worship team up. And if you guys could all join me in standing. Um, if at any time you want to sit back down, you're welcome to. But if we could start standing. Um, and the reason we do that is so that uh, we're set free to worship. And if it's easier for you to worship sitting down, do that. If it's easier for you to worship standing up, do that. Um, but these are songs that are laid to prayer. And I love the song that Kyle did before. Um, God just keeps doing that over and over again. That song was so perfect. And so with these songs, just rest into it. Um, I'm going to pray for not only this, but I'm going to pray for the offering this morning. If you're visiting us, just drop the card in there. The offering's just for those at branches that said, hey, it's convenient for us. We don't want to, we don't do online stuff, or I don't want, I just want to drop it in the basket. So that's what it's for. But especially if you need prayer for something, maybe it's for the the stuff we've been talking about this morning, you can put that down. Let's pray. Father, we want to rest in you. We want to know the height and the depth and the width of your love because we need it, Lord. No matter how tough we look on the outside, no matter how much we, how happy we look on the outside, we all have a hunger to be with you and to be with others and to be unconditionally accepted and loved. And Father, we confess to you uh, that we have some real bad habits that have caused pain to others and have caused some of our own pain with us being alone. Our own behavior has caused us to be rejected at times because people don't know what to do with it. So Father, we lay all of that at your feet this morning. And during these next few songs, these next few prayers, uh, we want to just lay at your feet with all of who we are. In the name of Jesus.